Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have a great show for you today. She grew up in Minnesota and then Wisconsin and honed her skills at the Everett Academy in Boca Raton, Florida. As a pro, she rose to 30 in the world and posted wins over Marianne Bartoli, Lee Na, and Elena Svitolina, to name a few. She is amongst the best doubles players in the world, posting nine Grand Slam titles and reached number one in the world in 2017. One of the most effervescent and high-energy players on tour, Bethany Maddox-Sands, is going to tell us how she is staying alive and amplified through the shutdown. She's going to tell us what it was like to turn pro at 14 years old. And she's going to share with us one of the great love stories we've heard to date. We sat down with Bethany live via Skype. This episode is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. See what they're doing at SergioTacchini.com. And when you're ready for some retail therapy, use the code under underscore review and the number 30 to receive 30% off of your order. You ready to do this? <laughs> I'm always ready. I have to tell you, I introduced myself to your, to your husband at the practice courts. Uh, I was like floating around at Indian Wells. And about 25 minutes later, I was walking by your court like up top and you were low and you sort of buzzed across the court diagonal and you hit a tweener winner cross court. And I have to say, I have to, I probably was the only person other than the people on the court that saw that. That witnessed that great greatness. <laughs> that was a money in the bank shot. I don't even That's know what else awesome. to say. I have, listen, I actually practice those shots. Um, I like, I, I, I have hit a couple tweeners in matches. I have yet to win a point. Um, mm. But I actually practice that a lot. I like being a little flashy on the court. For me, being handy is one of my favorite things about playing tennis. So I kind of exaggerated, despite what my coaches have said over the years, when I'm practicing sometimes. But yeah, the tweeners, the drop shots. Lefty forehand, one-handed backhand. Like I like to mix it all in. So I'm just glad people. There's a few people out there that have witnessed it. Yo, it was a great. It was actually. I don't get too excited about things like that, but that was. Uh, it was fun to be there for that one second. So listen, we do a five-set format. I want to just get right into this. Our first set is the off-the-court report. I don't want to like make out with this coronavirus situation, but we should kiss it. <laughs> I, I've learned but that. Do we, is that social distancing? Yeah, still? That's I don't know. I feel like we got to do like the fist bump from six feet away. Fair enough. But I learned when I was researching uh, that your mom is a nurse. Is she working? Is she involved in this whole situation? So, yeah. So my mom is actually, she's in labor and delivery. So she's been, she's been a nurse uh, for over 35 years now. And um, she is staying safe. She has been uh, working but not uh, not full time. I mean, it's I, for, I mean, I gotta give all the healthcare workers a big, big some big props right now because you know just with the uncertainty of you know how it's spreading and a little bit of the you know, I don't want to say panic from the citizens. They're really stepping it up and sort of making everyone feel good, um, putting themselves in a little bit of risk or a lot bit of risk um, by continuing to work. So really. All of them deserve a big, uh, big six foot 
Away, hug. Is she the kind of mom that is like telling you? Is she sending you masks? Is she giving you in- interesting inside information? I know she said, You know what? It's so funny. For as long as I, so I'm, I just turned thirty-five. So um, she's never really been that nurse, like healthcare professional mom that's given us the horror stories of you know what she's seen in the hospital and she's never really brought her home to the, to any of our lives or to the kitchen table. Um, so she wasn't, and she's not really one to, to panic either. So she's pretty even keeled. Mm. Uh, so she's obviously there, she's taking safety precautions, but she's really, um, she's pretty calm actually. So I was the one who, who was sort of prepping, I think before anyone in my family, I'm kind of surprised that I was almost like ordering things on Amazon before Justin was even making his list. Everyone's got to keep it cool. Now, you're extremely entrepreneurial. I describe your style as like the style of the Bryans and, and in, in a way a NASCAR style, which is, you know, that that they, they do every interview and they sign every autograph and, and the, you know, these kids and, and people that meet the athlete um, have a fan for life um, in this in this downtime. Are you ramping up even more? More? Uh, yeah. So it's, it's interesting because I think a couple things. First of all, I'm a little bit used of adapting and adjusting with sort of the uncertainty of my career, just with being out with injuries. Um, even even athletes dealing with wins and losses on the tennis on the court, just that's we don't have guaranteed contracts as tennis players. So there's, you know, there's a lot that's sort of uh, hanging at, for uncertainty for us. And so I feel like we've all gotten pretty good at dealing with that. And for me especially, just knowing how I've dealt being out for periods of time when I've been injured. Um, so when I, it's funny because when I see some people talking about how bored they are, I'm like, I've been doing more things almost than I did when I was, traveling tournament to tournament. I mean, one, there's so, one, being home is awesome. Like, I'm not going to lie. Uh, we're traveling almost from, from January to November. So being at home, I, I can handle. There's we, well, hold on, like, hold on, hold on. Wait, you're, you're not just traveling from January to November. You're traveling from January to November for 20 years. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And as you can see, sort of like, the mess that is off camera right now, I'm pretty sure we have mail still here sitting from 2019. So we just like, we definitely are reorganizing the house. Um, I've really made it a point to sort of give myself a daily structure too. I think the biggest thing is when we're all thrown off track a little bit is we get into sort of this habit of, well, I, I want to work out, but there's no time restraints because I'm not doing anything. And for me, I, I take it a step further. If I'm, if I'm working out today, which I am, I set my times up. I'm like, even though it's in my garage and I technically can go whenever I want, I'm like, no, I want to be here. I'm going to have breakfast. I'm going to work out here. And this is the time that I'm going to do my podcast, the time I'm going to do my social media. And you keep a little bit of structure to the day. And even, even, you know, within the day, it shifts around a lot, but I find that really helpful. But I, I mean, I've been active on social media for a long time. I love doing podcasts. Uh, I've gone on Insta Live with a few players. Uh, I do Say my own that. posts and everything. So it's 
you know, I'm still designing my fashion line. I just dropped my newest capsule, which was going to be for the Miami collection, which I will now be wearing for my backyard badminton matches. So, you know, there's just... By the way, um, the the collection, you know, um, shout out to Andre Agassi, because I feel like a lot of the colorways and the, the patterns and the designs have a real you know, 90, yeah. 93 Agassi flash and dash groove to it. Definitely. It's a, it's a retro feel to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm really, we were inspired sort of by the Art Deco district in Miami. Right. That's for those colors. You get those like old school teal and lavender colors. Um, but it was really, I mean, listen, I've been, I've been designing this line with Lucky and Love for the past year and a half. And I feel like every line we do, it just gets better and better. I mean, they had a really good sense of who I was. I'm colorful, a little bit flamboyant. I like different graphics. I like being unique. And I felt like they really, the designers that I work with, they really understood me. So really all my lines, I have a personal touch in, you know, what materials are using, what cuts we're using, colors, graphics, everything. And it's, you know, it's kind of a dream come true for me. I mean, I've always worn something different on the court since I've been a little kid. And so having my own line is really just right in my wheelhouse. I'm excited for more. Bethany Maddox keeps it funky. When what's the story with this mezcal I uh, I've, I've heard about? I, what's the name? Yeah. Of it? You guys have a piece of a mezcal company. Is that what I did? I learn that. Right. Yes, yes. So we are, we are a part owner in Kimosabe uh, Mezcal, and it's uh, my go-to drink has always been a sipping tequila. And then once I started tasting some mezcals, uh, it depends if you like smoke or not. But we have it's the same thing. You have an anejo, reposado, a blanco. Uh, I'll do a little bit different taste. I prefer it on the rock, just uh, straight up. But that's something that we got into uh, a couple years ago. I've, I've been down to Mexico, uh, to Zacatecas, to go see uh, the manufacturer, cut the agave. I mean, it's a really fascinating um, sort of business venture for us. And obviously, we uh, we love mezcal. We drink it <laughs> regularly. Um, but we're, and we're pretty stocked up right now, so I'm, I'm pumped about that. That's but. funny. When I'm a touch bit aggravated or agitated, I will refer to someone as Kimo Sabe. <laughs> <laughs> I actually... Uh, it's gotten that a few times. <laughs> I'll be like, yo, man, leave me alone, Kimo Sabe, or something <laughs> along those lines. Um, well, you're going to have to try the drink then, because then it will help you deal with your Kimo Sabe in your life. So, indeed, indeed. Let's move into our second set. This is what we call the on the court report. First and foremost, I'm curious to know if you've had any significant real deal conversations with anyone regarding some of the, I don't know, maybe schedule problems, um, any of the politicking that's been happening. <laughs> You know, I, I think it is, it's just a, a challenging situation because it's so unprecedented. I mean, there's really no rules in the rule book for something like this when tournaments and play have to get suspended and canceled. I think a lot of uh, closed door meetings happening before they were releasing a lot of information. But I think, you know, as far as info getting to the players, we've been on an email chain, um, on a messaging group chat as well figuring out sort of what the next steps are. I mean, realistically, we don't have much control just because we're not sure how everything with Corona is going to keep on developing. So it's everyone's kind of in a holding pattern right now. We got to think about how we're going to structure points, 
are some tournaments getting canceled till 2021 or are they getting, you know, postponed for later in the year? I heard, um, I heard today that, um, Wimbledon is is thinking about sliding into the Olympics weeks um, just to slide down the list, you know, just slide slide down the calendar. Um, Interesting, yeah, yeah. And I mean, then you see you see French Open make an announcement that they're going after you know U.S. Open. I think. Um, what was yeah. your um? What was your um? When that happened, uh, were, you, were you? What was the feeling? What What did you do when you saw that maneuver? It'll also be interesting to see, like, what players, you know, sort of blow up like a tick. You know, I mean, Benoit Pair is like, Benoit Pair looks like he's just eating macaroni and knocking back Aperol spritzes all day and night. That's amazing. That's kind of me right now. Like, I, either we're all coming out of this 100 pounds heavier, <laughs> or, or we're all going to be shredded savages because we have our home gyms working out. So it's like one of two ways. So at this point right now, I'm working out. And then eating cake for breakfast. So I'm figuring I'm balanced right now, uh, and I haven't decided which way I'm leaning yet. So this is my one very tennis centric question because I didn't really want to go back in time here. But do you? How do you negotiate and decide what side of the court you're going to play on when you're playing doubles with different <laughs> partners and stuff? And do you play any each and every side? Can you play? Do you have a preference? Let's move into our third set. 
this is the this is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. Where does your tennis begin? Yeah, so I was born in Minnesota. I started playing tennis when I was five. My dad was the one who got me started. I actually played a lot of sports up until I was 12. Mm. Uh, we moved to Wisconsin, actually. That's where my dad's family is from. That's where all my aunts and uncles, oh, so grandma, cousins, they're all in Wisconsin. So that's, so that's why you like Green Bay. That's why I'm a hardcore Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay fan. And actually, my first um, coach in Minnesota, that wasn't my dad, was Eric Buterak's dad. Um, okay. so it was interesting that we, uh, and we ended up playing some mixed doubles, which is very, it was very cool. Like years later and, hmm. uh, at Wimbledon, um, two little Minnesota kids, like going all the way basically. So, but, uh, so that was Wisconsin and, uh, all, when I was 12 years old, I went down to Everett Tennis Academy for a summer to train down there. And that was sort of the transition when I started taking, tennis a little bit more seriously, and I dropped the other sports. Is it true that you won Le Petit A, and after Le Petit A, your father basically said, like, let's rock this thing, like, this about the Williams sisters, we're not going to play uh, juniors, and we're going to try to turn you pro. Did that Yeah, that, that was kind of a turning point. I mean, that's a huge tournament for everyone who doesn't know. It's, a, it's a, basically the world championships of 14 and under. I won it as a qualifier, and I actually won it won doubles as well. So I won singles and doubles, and I, I had great memories from there. And looking back, I maybe would have, I think the next step versus going pro would have probably been playing a few more uh, 18 and under grand, junior grand slams. Like, and it's, but it was, you know, what, what can you do? I mean, you're making decisions based on uh, the talent around you. You know, what, that, that was just kind of what uh, girls were doing when they were, were getting wins when they were young. Yo, what a long, strange trip it's been. I mean, you started, like, that's wild. Just playing pro terms at 14. Yeah, 20 years. Wow. 20 years. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know what? I'm a, I'm a big, like, stay present in the moment kind of person. So yeah. when I stop and think about things like that. Yeah. It, <laughs> it freaks you I out a little bit. Myself. For I, sure. Yeah, I don't. It's not very often where I have time to kind of run it in without my uh, earlier career. Well, I've heard you talk about, I've heard you mention that you didn't always love tennis. And, and I think that quite often great stories, they kind of come from pain. When did you sort of turn the corner on your, you know, just your happiness and your life? Because you're you're one of the like latest bloomers <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you and I think like maybe Flavia Panetta and and uh, Skiavone, like you guys, you guys had this moment where you were nowhere and then you were somewhere. I mean, you you got to thirty in the world. I mean, that's an incredible effort. Um, what changed that got you to that place where you could play? this great tennis. I mean, you won the Petia and then you, you know, you kind of, you, you sort of don't see you. And then all of a yeah. sudden you were there again. <laughs> I guess I, I, you know, I transitioned a lot as a person. I think, um, you know, I definitely felt a little bit of pressure turning pro that young for sure. And especially when results didn't come right away, you know, I think it just, it sort of builds. And, you know, I, I sort of knew that I was really good at tennis. And I, I liked the idea of tennis. Like, I liked 
the talent that I could show on the court. I like playing in front of crowds, but I did really love the game because there were moments where it did cause me pain. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't handle losses that well actually when I was younger. Like I was, I'm super competitive, and in all honesty, I was a bad loser, and not just other people. I was so internal, and I just would. I mean, up until my early twenties, like I'd lose a match, you wouldn't talk to me or see me for like three days. And you know, looking back at that now, like, yeah, what a waste of energy. But that's that's the emotional place I was in when I was sort of, I can say, middle my career, up until, you know, mid-20s even. I mean, it definitely um, has been a, a personal growth journey that I've challenged myself to sort of control, recognize what I can control, what, recognize what I can't, and choose to look at things in a certain way. And to get to the point where I'm at now, it really, you know, a lot of people look at me and they're like, well, you're naturally a happy person. And I, it was a habit. I, I changed my habits on how I thought. I changed my habits with how I viewed myself. I changed my habits with the conversations I had in my head. And it's it starts there, and it's hard because once you start kind of challenging these, like, internal beliefs, you're, like, kind of resisting something inside yourself. You're, I'm having these kind of internal battles about... I know how I want to be. I know how I want to react. I know what I want to do, but I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't owning it. So I really dove in um, on this path of finding up. And I remember doing a session with one of my mentors and saying, look, if it takes me asking myself the hardest questions, like I'm going to do it. Like I'm sick of being pissed just because I lost or whatever. And that's kind of the moment where I had a couple of sessions where I would just be bawling afterwards because I just made some big breakthroughs about, you know, beliefs that maybe were instilled with me as, as a kid. And it's things that, like, they're now, as an adult, they're just kind of reactions that we think they're, they're a part of us. But when you dive in there, you realize you can change a lot of those. You can shift a lot of those. You can change some of these reactions, these thought patterns, uh, these beliefs. It's, it's a habit. And it's really, and you won't get it truly until you really want to. And that's the point I made probably in my mid-20s. Um, and has been a, a journey ever since. And, you know, for example, like when I hurt my knee uh, in at Wimbledon, my first knee surgery, it was a big, big crusher. And a lot of people, you know, talk about my comeback, and they ask me what was the, great, was the greatest feeling, you know, that, that win afterwards to, that made it feel, you winning U.S. Open after the comeback. Was that the greatest, like, victory you had in your mind? And I, and I say no. I said my biggest wins have never been on the tennis court. My biggest wins are always a personal revelation or conversation that I I made I, a launch from one one version of myself to the next. Those are my biggest wins throughout my career. Bigger than my gold medals, bigger than my slams. And it's in those quiet notes. So after I injured my knee at, at Wimbledon, I was sitting in the hospital bed and I told myself, could I could I go through this day, this is the next day, okay, as if, if my knee wasn't injured, what would I, how would I be feeling about this day? I can't play, so I couldn't control that, but how would I feel? Like, how, I'd wake up and what would I do? I'd probably text someone, I'd have a coffee, like, what? And I said, I tell myself, I was like, could I do that? Like, could I come, have a conversation with friends the same I would if my knee wasn't injured? And that was like a big moment, because I was, at the first comment, you know, the first reaction is like no way like look at the situation you're in like no 
Like, and, and deservedly so. Like, I'm justified. I didn't have to be in a good mood there. Nobody would have been surprised if I was mean or if I didn't want to talk or if I was crying. And I, so I stepped up and challenged myself. That's why I did a little dance with Lucy Sakharova mm. while I still in my cast at the hospital. And that was, that was probably one of my biggest launching points of my life in the direction that, you know, the best thing that you see now, just with the way I deal with losses, the way I deal with interactions, with fans, appreciating moments. And so when, when we talk about some of my highlights, I'll be honest, most of my highlights are those kind of moments. Those are, those are the biggest game changers for me and not, not anything I've gotten on the court. I've been told that you have a very cool love story how you met your husband. We met when I was uh, 22. So the, the story is we met uh, through a mutual friend. I came out to Arizona um, to actually train with a fitness trainer that we currently, we actually still work with to this day. And um, I came out, I remember knocking on his door. He gave me his number. He's like, hey, just come over uh, to, to my house. So I remember coming up to the house, knocking on the door. And not, I hadn't seen a picture of him or anything. I'd only heard about him through my mutual friend. And I remember him opening the door, and he had, like, backwards cap, cut-off sleeves, tattoos, and it looked like Brett Favre. And I was like, hey, I'm just like, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of did the same thing. He hadn't seen me either. He was like, we both did these, like, Stephanie? Justin? And then, like, immediately hit it off from there. And basically, we, uh, we went on three dates and got engaged. You got engaged after three dates? 22 yeah. years old. Still married. Yeah. That is so, incredible. The story, the story is we were actually planning on getting married and we were going to do a destination. We were going to go, we go to Scotland on the middle Sunday of Wimbledon. And that year I ended up making the second week and I was supposed to play Serena. I was scheduled to play Serena on Monday. So I had to call like people up and say, look, you know, I remember talking to Dustin's mom and being like, I still love your son. I just can't get married right now. <laughs> I got to call it off. Wow. <laughs> How important has he been to your tennis and your success? I think I, I think what Justin has offered is really giving me the space to become the person that I am inside. I, like when he met me, believe it or not, I was actually really shy. Like I was very interested. I heard you say that. Shy. That's why I'm curious. And, yeah. And so he really encouraged me to share my feelings or to socialize and talk. I mean, if anyone knows Justin, he's the biggest social butterfly ever. Like, I think this guy, I mean, I, we call him the mayor. He just talks to everybody. He knows everybody. He's got everyone's phone number. And that's, that's his thing. And I've really learned a lot about communication with him. And I think he's always, it's not that he's pushed me to do things. He's just given me the space to be like, I believe in you. I think you can do this. What do you want to do? Let's go do this. Let's go after it. Let's enjoy it. I mean, he's, he's, if you, and again, if you know that, he's very much of a homemaker. Like, he likes to cook. He cleans. Like, he's, he's kind of a perfect guy. I mean, cooks for me, cleans for me. So, drive me around. And, you know, I feel like that, that was so big for me, especially in my early 20s, just coming sort of from the space that I did, feeling like I was by myself and almost isolating myself. I mean, tennis can be a lonely sport where it's an individual sport unless you're playing a ton of doubles. But even then, a lot of people, not that they're playing with their best friend of all time every week. So it can be kind of lonely. If you're not traveling with a coach, you're by yourself. Um, and then so many players kind of internalize losses. You don't really 
go out and celebrate wins like you're off, you're off the next tournament. So it's it's such an interesting dynamic. But Justin, I think, kind of gave me a different perspective, more of this normal life. Like, I definitely, I love my life. I, it wasn't a normal childhood that I had. And I mean, I, I still experienced great things. It just, it was very different from what Justin experienced. Justin went to, to college. Like, he got, he partied with his friends. He what had girlfriends, they broke up, like all these, all these things, you went to the dances, the formals, you know, and it's, it, you know, that's, that's sort of like a life that I really didn't know anything about me, Justin, so I feel like he offered so much normality to, to kind of my, my crazy abnormal life. It also sounds like he helped you realize it's okay to be yourself. A hundred percent. And I think that, and that's huge. That's why, I mean, he's really a massive reason of why you guys see the Bethany that is out there now. The outgoing, uh, socially engaged, colorful. I mean, I feel like those are things that they are natural to me. It's not it's not forced, but I didn't know how to express them. And I think Justin's really just offered me that sort of loving and safe environment that that's like all that started coming out. And I felt like I could, that was, I could be who I was. I could have my opinions, uh, my, you know, they meant something. And, and then I just kind of blossomed. Well, you know, in this case, um, love doesn't mean zero, right? I mean, it's like love a very nice story. Zero. Let's move into our fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. We do not do a deep dive. I say it, and you say what comes into your mind. All right. You ready? Ready. Favorite ready. tournament? Yes, open. Favorite court? Favorite court, I will say, is, I think, Arthur Ashe. Arthur Ashe Stadium. Go go home. Um, Your best moment in tennis? On the court, I think winning my first U.S. Open title after after being down and coming back in the third set, I won it on 9-11 in New York. Really? Yep. I was wearing that, so I was wearing the American flag knee-high socks, which were the, I, I only wore those for the Olympics, and then I was retiring them, and I was like, you know what, if I make the finals and it's on 9-11, I'm bringing the socks back, and sure enough, we made the finals. Who, we who, down, who, who was it? Who would you play I with? with? I went with Lucy yeah. uh, Taparova, and then we were playing against Boldenovich and Garcia, who were the favorites. I actually think they were even maybe the, the top seeds. And we were down. We were actually down a set and uh, a break in the second. And we made uh, we mounted a massive comeback. And it was pretty. It was pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, that's a great moment. Come on, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, big entourage or lean and mean? Uh, I I like a big entourage, but I'm still going to be picky about quality. My big thing about entourage is energy. I want you to bring positivity and good energy. When everyone's feeling good, like the energy is good, the mood is good, I'll play good tennis. That's so the sense. more people I get, I and I actually changed that before. Before I would say lean and mean, but now, now if I if I have a group, a squad with me that's got good energy, you're on. You're on the team. Tennis parents. <laughs> Intense. Best friend in tennis? Sonia Mirza. Sonia Mirza. Shout out to Sonia Mirza. Um, your your favorite doubles partner? I got to choose that. Look, all my partners, I've been really great yeah, friends yeah, with. I course. think one that I 
I've been the closest with was Lucy. Obviously, she's the one who I won all my slams with. But most recently, last year, woman I played with Daniel Collins. Love her. She's yeah. awesome. I've played with Kristen Flickens. Awesome. Sonia, I've gotten to know her well. So my big thing is I play doubles with friends. Coaching from the player box. Should do it. Encore coaching. I think if we go encore coaching, we should have the coach stay on the court. None of this running on the court, kneeling, and running back off. That's Bush League. Your favorite player growing up? Steffi Graff. Sorry, Monica Sellers. Monica Sellers. Steffi's game, but I met Monica when I was younger. Favorite forehand? Of all time? It's, 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 it's 10 ball scramble. You can say whatever comes in your mind. All right. Favorite forehand? Jack Favorite backhand. You gotta love favorite someone's favorite. backhand, right? Favorite backhand. I'm gonna go with. I like a one-handed backhand, so I'm gonna go with. I like Stan's backhand. Love Stan's backhand. Favorite volleys. Yeah. Other than mine. You can love your. You can love yourself. I mean, that's that's. That yeah, could, I got a lot of love myself. I have no I'm question. gonna give myself my favorite volleys, but. If I had to pick another person, I would probably say, I'd have to say Jamie Murray. He has these ankle breaker volleys that just, he, I'm good at reading the ball. And when he can put a ball in a place that I didn't think he was going to, he can take me out. And that's very, that's kind of, that's very rare. Like he, his hands are ridiculous. Favorite serve. Favorite serve. I'm going to say, um, Curve. Let's go with. There you go with Roger. I I actually so whenever I feel a little off with my serve, I watch Roger's serve in slow motion, and it's funny because it's not we don't really have the same technique or anything. Yeah. There's just something about his timing that helps me with my timing. And again, like I wouldn't even compare our serves at all. No, no, I understand. Take up, but he's if I'm not feeling it, I'll I'll pull up on YouTube and I'll watch Roger's serve. Who is your emergency contact? <laughs> On all, all the papers that I fill out, it's Justin. Let's move into our fifth and final set. This is the queen of the court. If you could be the queen of tennis and make a change in the sport with just a swing of the racket without any real you know, significant aggravation, what would it be? Going back to what I was saying about encore coaching, I think it would be an interesting dynamic for fans to get a little bit more of the interaction between coaches and players. I mean, why I like the idea of coaching from the box. I like the idea of even having a coach stay on the court with you. Like, there's, you know, I, I'm I'm a big proponent of thinking outside the box. Like, I want to let, let's push the limits, and then obviously maybe we take it a little too far, but we find something that works. And I'm I'm always that person that's offering those off the wall ideas. I think with coaching interactions, I think I think we need to celebrate our wins a little bit more. I, I think if we could schedule our tournaments a little bit differently to give players that are in the semis and the finals a chance to actually celebrate instead, you're you're at most of the time you're. The stadium's getting packed up. The grounds are getting packed up. You know, the you you have your flight booked for four hours after the match so you can get to the next tournament. Like, I want to see people throwing some big-time celebrations after they win some of these tournaments. Like, it's a big deal. Like, we work this hard. Like, each 
it doesn't just have to be a celebration of a grand slam like all these tournaments. Like I, I want some better, more time to celebrate uh, within that. Now is that is that you know offering something up uh, performance wise, let's say having someone that did well the week before that they're the ones who get the buys in the next week. I, I'm kind of a proponent of that. I think they're the ones who earn it and give them a little extra time to get to the next tournament. You know, the two week time you have a winner on Sunday. And they're scheduled to play a match Tuesday morning, and it's barely enough time to get there on Monday. So, uh, so I, I would definitely start with with things like that um, for sure. That question, I could probably answer. I have like an hour's worth of ideas for what we could do, um, but we'll we'll start there, and then we'll have another podcast about more ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, to be continued. First of all, thank you. This has been a pleasure. You guys take care of yourselves down there um, in Arizona. And um, if you have any interesting advice for anyone, uh, now's the time. Just people just need to stay away from each other, don't they? Yeah, I mean, social distancing, flattening the curve. I, you know, I think it's, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I think we can all, you know, I know there's a lot of uncertainty, and it's, I know there's initial feelings of anxiety um, that are kind of popping up. But really, we're in this. We're all in this together, whether we're pro athletes. Whether you have you're a nurse at the hospital, I mean we're all we're all in this together, and there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Let's figure out what we can control, what we can't, and leave that be. I mean we all have a choice in, in helping each other, helping ourselves. I mean really, let's take advantage of this moment to 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 learn some new things or to figure out some more stuff about yourself. Organize your life a little bit the way you want to. I mean really, this I, I I'm using this as a big time. Um, moment for self-reflection on on what I see, where I see I'm at in my life, and and not to be dramatic, but just in an honest in an honest way, like we have we have time to almost reset right now. Let's take advantage of it. Let's take advantage of it. Bethany Maddox Sands, uh, the pleasure was mine. Um, you are released. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That was awesome. Cool. 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 Huge thank you to Bethany Maddox Sands. We'd like to thank Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. See what they're doing at SergioTacchini.com and use discount code UNDER underscore review and the number 30 when you get to checkout. Thank you to our patron, Bertrand Madsen. It's great to have you on board. If you've been thinking about becoming a patron of the show, now is the time. We just posted some new members-only premium content. Head on over to Patreon.com slash underreviewtennis to read all about it. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash underreviewtennis. We really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Underreviewtennis is our Instagram and Facebook. To catch some clips from some of our interviews, check out our YouTube page. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti, and Jason Binnick did our mix. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released. <laughs>